Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Good morning, everybody. If you are visiting here this morning, uh, we just want to say welcome. Uh, We are so, so excited, so thankful uh, that you chose to spend the morning with us. And we know that there are a lot of places that you could have been. Uh, There are a lot of things that you could have been doing. uh, But you chose to spend Easter Sunday this morning with us. And so we feel very, very privileged. And so I want to welcome you, but I also want to be the first person to invite you back next week. Uh, My name is Miles, and while I am a leader here in this class, in this ministry, I'm not our pastor. Our our pastor is a mighty man of God named Brandon Briscoe. Yes. And God has used him mightily to invest in my life, and you can see all the young people here Uh, that are here because of him. In in some way or another, God has used him to bring together a bunch of young people that love Jesus and that want to serve him with their lives. And y'all, right now, we're working through the book of Acts. And it's been, it's been life-changing. Like, just, it's been life-changing. I look around and I see young people who are zealous about the gospel, uh, who who have a a fervency and a desperacy uh, to see souls saved. And we have Uh, We've seen salvations. Uh, We see people that are getting trained up in the word of God through discipleship, uh, right? We we see people that have a bold witness. Y'all, I'm terrified to talk to strangers. And then I got guys like Antonio who who came into my life, a super meek and timid guy. And and y'all, he's zealous for the Lord. And just to see what what God's doing as we get eyes on the book of Acts, these early church apostles uh, that, that are planning churches and that are flipping the world upside down. And so again, uh, we'd love to, to invite you back next week. Uh, our pastor's going to be back in the pulpit, uh, and it's going to be a really, really sweet time. But today, uh, you're stuck with me. And uh, it's a very, very Sunday. This is a special Sunday uh, because today we get to celebrate Easter. Uh, and on Easter, we celebrate the, the fact that Christ is risen. We serve a, a Lord, a, a Jesus, uh, that's defeated sin and death. And that makes that day the most important, the most significant, uh, the, the, the greatest day of all time, right? It's greater than the day that I was born. That was a pretty good day. It's better than, yeah, the, the day that I married Lisa. That was an awesome day. Uh, it's better than the, the chief Super Bowl victory. The fact that Jesus Christ has defeated sin and death makes it single-handedly the, the greatest day of all time. And it's great because, man, I was... I was buried with Christ in the likeness of his death. And y'all, that means I was also raised with Christ in the likeness of his glorious resurrection. That means there's hope for us, right? Over sin, over death, there's, there's hope. And the, the really cool thing about Jesus' resurrection story is he didn't just leave an empty tomb. The, the really cool thing is that he was actually seen on earth after his resurrection, right? More than 400 people witnessed the resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ, in the, in, in the flesh, Right? And what's really, really neat about that is it gives us many infallible proofs to the fact of his resurrection, but even more special is the fact that he took the time to meet with his disciples, right? He encouraged them. He saw them face to face, and he taught them, and he comforted them, and he met them where they were at. And that's where we find ourselves today. Uh, Today, we're going to consider a passage uh, out of the last chapter of the book of Luke. 
And so I invite you to, if you have a Bible, turn there with me, Luke chapter 24. And we're going to read an account that's unique to to the gospel of Luke. And it chronicles the story of two disciples uh, that about 2,000 years ago, on on this very day, were leaving from Jerusalem to go to a town called Emmaus. And, And these two disciples, they would have witnessed the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So again, you know, we, we get to read his sermons on the mount and we're, we're left in awe. They would have heard him in the flesh with their own two ears, Jesus Christ expounding upon the scriptures. They would have seen him do incredible miracles. Uh, they, just a week prior, they would have seen Jesus. They probably would have been actually waving palm leaves, inviting Jesus into Jerusalem, you know, yelling, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Receiving him as their Messiah. It's incredible. Uh, They would have also seen, uh, just a a few days ago, uh, the the miserable death uh, of Jesus. Uh, He he, he suffered and died a horrible death, a crucifixion on a cross. And and now even this morning, about 2,000 years ago, they, they would have heard the rumblings and the rumors, testimony of the fact that there's an empty grave and, and that Jesus lives And at this time in the passage, they're struggling with how to make sense of all this, right? Everything that's unfolding around them, how to let go of their expectations of who Jesus should be and to see him for who he really is. And so the the thesis for today's sermon is that Christ has risen, right? This is a very, very simple message. We're going to examine the testimony of two skeptics, these two individuals whose eyes were open to the truth of the resurrection after taking a walk with Jesus. And the call here is twofold. First, Jesus Christ is risen. This is the most central theme to this passage. This, like literally and, and, and literarily, it can't be missed. The truth uh, of the resurrection, it changes everything, right? If you joined us for first service, you saw that. And this is an invitation for anyone who, who doesn't personally know Jesus, who hasn't personally reckoned the fact of his resurrection to tune in, right? Today we're going to see uh, for, for sure that he, he, he resurrected, but more importantly, acknowledge the why. Man, man why was it needful for, for Jesus to die on the cross? Why was that a needful thing? Number two, we must establish a proper walk with Christ. And again, this isn't rocket science, right? Uh, these two men, they, they, they walked with Jesus and it changed everything. And so the call today isn't just to know Jesus, right? These, these men... They proclaim to know him as a prophet, mighty in word and deed. Uh, and that's not enough. We need to have an intimate walk with him, a walk that, that impacts our life, a walk that, that impacts the way that we think. And so before we dive in, I'm going to invite Lisa up uh, just to read the passage for us. And then we're going to pray and, and trust God to meet with us. Okay. okay. Um, Luke 24, starting at verse 13. And behold, two men, or two of them, went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden, and they should, that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said to him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and 
Hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, What things? <laughs> I love that. And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. And he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, Amen. and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. <laughs> and they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he walked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. Amen. Can you pray for us? Yeah. Um, God, we love you and we are so thankful to be surrounded by your truth and your word. God, we need... Um, we need our eyes and our hearts opened. God, we, we want to see you clearly as these men eventually did. God, we want your word to be real and change everything, Lord. So um, just make us students, make us good listeners, um, open our hearts and our minds. We love you, and, and it's because of you we're here, and we will never get over that. Lord, thank you so much. Amen. 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 Okay, thank you, Lisa. So in verse 13, our story begins... And it begins as all good stories do, right? We got two friends setting out upon a journey. And they're leaving the city of Jerusalem for a town called Emmaus. And these two friends, they're, they're not numbered amongst, we you know, the famous 12. They're, they're not the 12 disciples, but they're certainly disciples. And that just means that they were followers of Jesus Christ, right? And so outside of this, not much is known of them. We learn that, that one is named Cleopas. And uh, many assume that, that Luke would have actually personally interviewed Cleopas for this account, right? Uh, if we look at the beginning uh, of the gospel account of Luke, uh, he uh, would go around and gather personal eyewitness accounts and testimonies of the life and ministry of Jesus to report to Theophilus, this man that, that wanted certainty on the things that he knew and that he believed. And so it's very, very probable that he uh, might have gotten this account from Cleopas. But outside of that, there, there's not much, much no, known about these two individuals. Um, but as we consider their actions through the text, uh, a picture starts coming into focus, right? These two men, actually, we don't even know that they're two men. We know at least one of them is a man. It's possible that the other could be his wife. Uh, but these two individuals were leaving Jerusalem. And, and at that time, Jerusalem would have been like the, it would have been the epicenter for Christian activity, right? This is where all of Jesus' disciples were. 
This is where, again, just a week prior, Jesus would have entered in with a, just a fan affair, right? People waving palm trees and, and, and receiving him as their Messiah. Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Uh, this is where uh, Jesus would have done uh, some incredible teachings. Uh, and ultimately, this is where Jesus uh, would have been crucified and buried. Uh, ultimately, this is a place where uh, he would also rise from the grave, right? Uh, and so the question begs, why would these two individuals, why would the, these followers of Jesus Christ uh, be in such a hurry to, to leave Jerusalem? And as we continue just to examine the text, we gain some, uh, just some incredible insights. In verse 17, we learn that these two are incredibly sad, right? It says that they're, they're so sad that it shows on their face, right? Their countenance is just completely fallen. Uh, they're discouraged, they're, they're down, they're depressed, and they're walking away from Jesus. Quite literally, they're, they're separating themselves from other disciples who would have remained in Jerusalem. And so we, we can't miss the, the fact that, that they're sad, they're walking away from Jesus, and all the while, Jesus is actually walking towards them, right? And so this just brings to, uh, to light our first key point, is that Jesus is pursuing a walk with you. Do you know that? Whether you know Jesus personally today, or maybe you don't even know him, right? These two, they're struggling with the reality of his resurrection, uh, but Jesus is pursuing you. There's no accident, there's no coincidence that you ended up here this morning. Uh, Jesus is after you, right? And Jesus was after these two. And this brings to light one of the most comedic encounters in our entire Bible. This is so good. So Jesus, right, he's approaching these two and he joins himself to them. And they don't recognize Jesus. And it's not because they don't know who Jesus is. It's not because they don't know what he looks like. Certainly they could pick him out of a lineup, right? Uh, it's because the, the text says uh, that their eyes were holding that they should not know him, right? Their, their eyes were holding that they shouldn't know him. And so Jesus is sneaking in. He's incognito. He's the master of disguise. And he just comes up to him and he joins himself to him, right? Th this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus would have been about seven to, to eight miles and so he's just tracking with them, and it makes sense. I mean, actually, this yesterday, Romeo and Becca got married. It was awesome. And after the ceremony, I was going to the reception. And guess what, y'all? Jake and Julia were going to the reception, too. And so it just made sense. We're all going in the same direction. So I just joined myself to them, and we started driving together to the reception, right? I hopped in their car, and we got to converse and talk since we're headed in the same direction. And so it wouldn't have been uncommon this time, if you're going seven to eight miles, just to, to join yourself and walk together. And so Jesus did just that. And as he approaches these two individuals, he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And he says, hey, why are you guys so sad? And, and Cleopas, he's got this big mouth, right? He's like Peter. He just chimes in. Uh, and he says, man, what, where have you been, right? Like, what's going on? Do you live under a rock? Like, you've got to be the only person in all of Jerusalem that has no idea what's going on. And Jesus says, well, yeah, actually, I've been living under a rock for three days now. <laughs> and, and, and obviously, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but, but Jesus entertains them and says, well, what things, right? And obviously, he knows. These are the things that happened to, to him. He, he would have been very familiar with these things. Uh, but he allows them to elaborate. And y'all, Jesus is the best question asker, right? He asks these questions. Sometimes they're simple. Sometimes they're very complex. But he asks questions that get right to the root of issues. And so he allows these men to, to explain all these things that have happened. 
And so they tell the stranger in their minds all the things that had happened to Jesus of Nazareth. They tell him how Jesus was a prophet, how Jesus was mighty in deed and word before God and before all the people. Right? Uh, they would explain to him how the religious rulers had condemned Jesus to death, to the most miserable death of crucifixion. And by verse 21, we see the root of the issue. They say, we trusted that it had been he which had, should have redeemed Israel. We trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And this sheds a huge light on the current dilemma. Uh, it's evident, right, just from reading this, that these, these two individuals, that they loved Jesus. They thought the world of him. They, they valued his teachings. Uh, they, they, they valued the incredible miracles and actions and works that he had done. Uh, they affirmed that, that Jesus was a good and a godly man. And they even affirmed that he was a prophet, that he was a messenger sent from God. But you can tell by the way that they're framing the discussion that they don't really buy into the resurrection yet. And notice that the past tense nature of the description, we trusted past tense. I don't know that we do anymore. That it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Uh, that's what he, he should have done if he was the Messiah, right? They acknowledge that Jesus was good uh, and, and that he should have been the Messiah, right? They, they see that that based on everything that he's doing, he lines up with this picture, but they fail to reckon how given his death, these things could come true. The Messiah that they were looking for was a conqueror, right? They, they were looking for, for a Moses that's gonna set the people free. They were looking for, for political revolt. They were looking for uh, someone that could conquer their enemy and free them from Roman rule. They were looking for someone that was gonna free them from suffering. And all the while, Jesus came to free them by suffering. They went on to share that right before they had left Jerusalem, uh, they heard the testimony from certain women in their company that Jesus, that his tomb was empty and that they had seen a vision from angels that he was alive. And, and I just want to do a quick aside. Uh, this is the central theme of the entire passage. He was alive. That phrase right there. If you don't take anything else away from today, I want you to see that, that Jesus Christ is alive. And this is a plug for LFBI. We've got a Bible school here where you can learn this very word. There's 66 books in it, and you can learn it for yourself, right? And one of my favorite classes in LFBI is whenever we do a Bible survey. And so we'll go through the Old Testament. You know, we're, we're hip to the New Testament, right? We know the Gospels. We know the Pauline epistles. But whenever we get to books like Zechariah, you're like, oh, man, what's that about? When we get to, to books like Leviticus, we just kind of skip over it, right? But it's awesome getting to walk through the Old Testament and seeing these mighty men of God that, that, that show you just the incredible gold that, that's there, right? And one of my favorite days is whenever we go through the book of Psalms. Uh, Pastor Dan Renault teaches the book of Psalms. And part of that is not just explaining the contents in the book of Psalms and, and the historical background, uh, but we get into uh, some of the literary structures that go into it, right? The, the books of Psalms, are, they're, they're just that. They're Psalms. They're hymnals. They're... Uh, they're poetic in nature, right? They're, they're, they're lyrics. And so we, we start to talk about things like uh, Hebrew parallelism, right? And, and it's fun and it's exciting and it gives so much more depth in, in to, to the text. And, and whenever we take away, you know, some of the, the, the keys and insights that we learn from there, uh, we learn that some of those things can be applied in other parts of the Bible. And the Luke, he was a medical doctor, right? This man would have been incredibly studious, uh, and he's very, very articulate. 
And so he uses parallelism within you know, uh, his accounts quite frequently that we couldn't help but, but see the, the main theme in the passage. And so right here we see him implementing something called a chiastic structure. And, and that sounds crazy, and blah, but really it's just these, these parentheses. They're, they're the literary bookends that, that, that capsulate the, the main theme. And so if you look up here, we can see that in the beginning of the story, the disciples are doing what? They're, they're leaving Jerusalem for Emmaus, right? And what are they doing at the end of the story? They're leaving Emmaus to go back to Jerusalem, right? So that's going to be something that's going to encapsulate our story. Uh, next, we see that on their way, Jesus appears to them, and their eyes are holding that they, that they shouldn't know him, right? And on, on the end of the story, they can see Jesus, right? They, they see him for who he is, but guess what? He disappears just like that. Next, we see that the, the travelers, they're explaining to Jesus all the things that happened, right? Man, how do, you, how do you not know what happened to Jesus? We'll, we'll clue you in. By the end of it, Jesus is telling them, you know, all of the, the, the Old Testament and how it actually explains what actually happened to Jesus, right? And, and next, we see this account that these women, they, they give testimony that the grave is empty. And the parallel of that is that the men, they go to examine for themselves, and they affirm that the grave is empty. But the very, very central theme in all of this is the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. Right? The, the, again, literally and literarily, this can't be missed in, in the text. And, and key point number two, uh, if Jesus was a good man but not a risen man, then we're most miserable. Right? Sam just touched on this. Right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, we see that uh, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, uh, we uh, are of all men most miserable. Uh, if he hasn't, you know, uh, resurrected, uh, our faith depends on the fact of Christ's resurrection, right? That is the first key point from uh, Sam's sermon. So if he hasn't risen, then we're most miserable. Uh, anyways, uh, getting back to the, to the text, these ladies discover an empty tomb, and they, they receive testimony from an angel of his resurrection, uh, but we have to remember that this is the first century. And so the testimony of a woman, well, that's as good as, as well, it just doesn't hold much weight, right? And so these men, they're, they're intrigued enough to go examine the evidence for themselves. And so they go and they see that, in fact, the, the, the tomb was empty, right? Jesus wasn't there. But it says that uh, they saw him not. And, and so because they didn't see Jesus, well, they didn't believe, Right? They knew that he wasn't there, but they weren't completely bought on the fact of his resurrection. And so we, we see again, you know, key point number two, if Jesus was a good man but not a risen man, then we are most miserable. And we see this lived out in the lives of these two on the journey, right? These two, they're, 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 they're living examples of this fact. We see them completely just jacked up, right? Uh, they're, they're so close. They, they believe Jesus is a good guy. They even believe that he was a man sent from God, but until they reckon his resurrection, they're most miserable. And so we consider their state, we, we see that socially, they're isolated, right? And in verse 13, we see that they're separating themselves from the other disciples in Jerusalem. We see mentally that they're, they're trying to process and to reason with man's wisdom all the things that are going on. We see this in verses 14 through 15, how they get together and they talk together and they reason together of all the things that have happened. And it's getting them nowhere. Emotionally, we see that they're mourning, right? We see this in verse 17. They're sad. 
they had a religious experience that didn't pan out the way that they thought it would. And lastly, we see spiritually, they're blind. They can't even see Jesus right in front of them. They thought that seeing was believing, but the reality is, until they believe, they're never going to see, right? And so again, I don't know where you guys are at this morning, but if you're distancing yourself from Jesus, if you're distancing yourself from the church, uh, if you can't intellectually reason the gospel, if you're uh, emotionally mourning past religious experiences that, that let you down, or maybe you're realizing for the first time that you're blind, I would just beg you to, to listen up. Our key point number three is that if you can't make sense of something, then we have to learn to filter it through the word of God. If you can't make sense of something, then you have to learn to filter it through the word of God. And this is where Jesus, again, these men just know him as a stranger, chimes in, right? He gets straight to the, to, to the root of the issue so quickly. He says, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe. Just like that, root of the issue. Oh, fools, right? He, he had to give a little dig. Fools and slow of heart to believe. And he says, you had the testimony of an empty grave. You had the, the testimony of angels verifying my, my resurrection, but really, all you needed was to believe your Bible. He points out, he says, Ought not Christ have suffered these things and to enter into glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded unto them all the scripture, the things concerning himself. And so I don't know if you can imagine this, but you're just taking a walk, right? Seven to eight miles. And Jesus is giving you a Bible study, y'all. This would have been... Oh, man, it would have been just awesome. The, the bee's knees. It would have been the bee's knees, y'all. Is that my card? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 Um, but again, so they're walking, and Jesus is explaining all the Old Testament and, and showing how, how these things ought to have happened to Christ, right? And so this would have been an incredible time. Uh, the, these men, they're just telling Jesus. They're just filling him in on how this Jesus of Nazareth, he, he fit the bill, right? He, he was the perfect person that could have been the Messiah in every way except for the fact that he suffered and died. They just can't reason that. And so Jesus comes in and he shows them how from the beginning, beginning with Moses and the prophets, how these things ought to have happened to the Christ. And this would have been, again, the most exciting Bible study of all time. You can just imagine him starting in the book of Genesis, right? Going right to Adam and explaining how, how man has a sin problem, right? He would have shown how through Adam, through one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And this sin, like a, uh, you know, a disease in the blood, was passed on genetically to, to all of Adam's offspring. And so all of us are sinners. And this would have hindered our relationship between God and man, and thus passing on this sin nature to, to all the offspring. And from this, he would have taken them right to the passage that Sam was in this morning, right, to Genesis chapter 3, 15. And we'd see that this promise of a coming Messiah. And we'd see that the, the promise is that he's going to bruise the head uh, of, this, of this serpent, right? And the disciples would be like, yeah, yeah, we know that. that this coming Messiah is going to do that. But he'd also point out that his heel is going to be bruised as well, right? He'd talk about how he, he must suffer some things. He'd take them to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, and say, hey, man, man messed up, and, and, and what happened next? And they'd say, oh, well, Jesus kicked him out of the garden. Well, what happened before Jesus kicked him out of the garden? Well, well Jesus made the first sacrifice, 
right? And in verse 21, unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. See, they were naked and they were shameful and they were guilty of sin. And there's nothing that they could do to cover that they're unrighteous, completely unrighteous. And so he would have sacrificed the, the first animal and covered their sin and their guilt and their shame with these coats, right? He would have taken them to, to passages like Genesis 22 and see Isaac uh, and Abraham uh, sacrificing his son. They would have taken them to, to passages like Genesis 30 uh, where we see the, the testimony of Joseph who had to endure horrible and miserable suffering that Israel might be saved. And he would have examined, you know, the prophets. He would have gone to, to Zechariah. He would have gone to, to Isaiah 53. Uh, in verse 3, it says that, that he was despised and rejected of men. A man, guys, we have to remember, Jesus Christ is explaining these things. So as we're reading Isaiah 53, it's not just me. It's not some random preacher or pastor that's explaining these things to the two. It's Jesus Christ himself, the man that suffered these things, right? Uh, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And uh, we hid it, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence Neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the, the travail of his son, of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities, right? Jesus is walking with them, and he's explaining these texts, how it's needful that, that Christ ought to have died. He'd go to, to passages like Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, he would go to, to Jonah, right? Sam was just talking about this a couple weeks ago, uh, and Jesus would have explained to them that just like Jonah suffered three days and three nights in, in a tomb, Right? In the belly of a whale, it was needful uh, that, that so must the Messiah, that, that he would be spit up, right? up from the, the, the grave he arose, is what Sam would say, right? Uh, and he'd go and preach a message of salvation, right? Nineveh, they're a wicked and a perverse people. And the point here is that we could, man, I didn't even scratch the surface, right? We could spend hours and days and months and years just mining the Old Testament, 
uh, to see these prophecies of a suffering Messiah. And we wouldn't exhaust all of them. But I want us to see is that it was needful for the Messiah to suffer and die. This is according to the plan. This is not like, this was expected, right? We see this clearly from the Old Testament. And we see that the disciples were, were looking for, for someone who would redeem Israel. That's what it says in the text. Man, we thought that he would have been the one who should have redeemed Israel. They were looking for redemption. And, and the thing with redemption is to redeem is to pay the price of. It's to, to pray, pray the ransom. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 3 where, where we started, we see that the problem was sin. Um, do you want to go to the next slide? No, maybe not. Never mind. Uh, but we see that the, the problem was sin, right? The, the wages of our sin was death, right? The, the wages of our sin is death. We see that in Genesis. We see that in, in Romans, right? Uh, and the Old Testament is full of blood because of that, because life is in the blood. It's only the, the blood of an innocent life that can cover sin. And we see this through the atonements being offered over and over again in the Old Testament. And we see such a fitting example uh, in the Passover, in Exodus uh, 12, we see the first Passover observed. And this is an occasion where Israel was in captivity in Egypt, right? And God's wrath was kindled against Egypt, and he was going to kill every firstborn male. Uh, but he made a way of escape. He said, if you put the blood of an innocent lamb on the doorpost, then you'll be saved. It was the innocent blood of a lamb that could atone. It was that blood that made an at-one-ment with God, right? And this is why John the Baptist, this predecessor to Jesus, whenever he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, right, that taketh away the sin of the world. Only the blood of an infinite and holy Christ could cover the sins of all mankind. Jesus had come to die as a sacrificial lamb and to extend his grace and to offer us life if we would only receive it, right, if we would only receive it. And there's no amount of works or good things that we could ever do to earn righteousness, to earn a right in his presence. It's only through the blood of Jesus that our sins are washed clean. And that's why we, we sing weird songs about blood and praise, right? Man, it's good. That's how we're redeemed. Jesus suffers the death that we deserve, and he offers us life. And so Jesus would have spent, guys, can you imagine, seven to eight miles this is awesome time. He would have spent uh, the entire time just expounding upon these things to these two on their way to Emmaus. And upon arriving, uh, Jesus, he, man, this dude's just a troll. He, he acted like he was about to go further, right? And the two were like, no, nah, man, you got to stay with us, right? They, they constrained him in saying, abide with us. Man, stay with us. You can see that th these two were just beaming, right? Their, their countenance initially was fallen. But now they're beaming with excitement. Suddenly, y'all, suddenly they have hope of a resurrection. For the first time, they have hope of a resurrection, right? And so they surely desired for this man to continue to expound the scriptures to them. And as they sat to eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. And immediately their eyes were opened. And so key point number four, when we work in the word, we reap in the word, right? When we work in the word, we reap in the word. Their eyes were open. Again, we, we see this in the, 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 the message that Pastor Sam was preaching. We, we can see passages like Ephesians 1, uh, 17 through 23, and how the, these eyes are being enlightened. We can see passages uh, like Romans 10, uh, 17, cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
uh, passages like Psalm 19, verse 8, that the commandment of the Lord is pure and it, it enlightens the eyes, right? It gives sight. It's awesome. And so obviously the, the word of God does a work to enlighten the eyes of men. But notice it's not until they respond that they gain sight, right? It's not until they constrain Jesus to stay with them, uh, until they desire to abide with him, that they see. Their desire to hear more scripture grounded, right? Clearly there is hope of a resurrection in their state now. And so as they sit together for a meal, Jesus blessed and break and gave, right? This would have been a very familiar sight. And this is the point when they, when they see. Uh, but just as a, a quick aside, uh, whenever Jesus um, stays with them, he says in Luke 24, uh, verse uh, 29, um, that uh, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. It's toward evening and the day is far spent. And I just want to, to point out that Jesus walks with them during the day, right? He walks with them during the day. Uh, toward the evening, uh, we see a transition uh, as Bible students to, to the church. In uh, Romans 13, verse 12, it says, the night is far spent, right? The, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And so Jesus is expounding these things unto them that they might be a light. Right? Because it's dark. And immediately we see them get to work in the night. Within an hour, they're on the road back to Jerusalem. Again, this is a seven to eight mile journey to Emmaus. Within an hour, they're, they're on the road because they realize, man, we've got work to do. We've got a light to be. Right? It's good. It's good. But it's not until uh, this breaking of bread that their eyes are opened. And again, this would have been a very, very familiar and a very, very important sight. Uh, as we compare the Bible with the Bible, we only see two accounts of this prior, right? Uh, the first account, uh, our Bible study actually just dove into. Uh, we see it in Luke 9, the feeding of the 5,000, right? Jesus blessed, right? In verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, it says, He took the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He blessed them, break, and gave. Blessed, break, gave. And the disciples set before the multitudes, and they did eat and were filled and were taken up of fragments and remained to them 12 baskets. And this is a very, very important passage. This is the only miracle in your entire Bible that's recorded in all four gospel accounts. That's a big deal, y'all. There's something that needs to be communicated here. In this passage, we see Jesus for who he is, right? He is, uh, you know, the Messiah. He is a provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Christ. Uh, we see this passage, and we can't help but think, uh, of the testimony of Israel in the wilderness and how God by manna sustained them, right? Like we see all of this. But what's really, really beautiful is we see that the disciples recognize him for who he is in this passage. As you keep reading in it, you get to verse 20, and he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter answering said, the Christ, right? The Christ of God. And he, he straightly charged them and commanded them, tell no man that thing. And then he goes on to, to give them a little insight, saying, the Son of Man must suffer. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and raised the third day. Y'all, he, he's, he's showing the playbook, right? He's showing the playbook. Uh, the only other time that we see uh, these, these phrases is in Luke 22. Uh, 
And this is the Last Supper, right? Uh, in, in verse 19, he took the bread, right? Uh, and, and he gave thanks, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave unto them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And this is the Last Supper, and this would have been a Passover meal. You guys remember we just talked about the Passover, what that represented, right? Remember the Passover represents an innocent lamb being slain whose blood saves, right? Whose blood saves. And so as Jesus is breaking bread and telling them that this is his body, that uh, this cup represents his blood, the New Testament, uh, he's showing that, that he is the Lamb of God, that he is the true Passover lamb, that, that whose blood saves, right? And so the breaking of bed was so significant to these two. And because uh, of the journey that they had with Jesus, because how he expounded the scriptures, because of intimate moments that they would have had with him, at this point it's all clicking. And their eyes are open to see Jesus for who he really was, for who he, who he com com uh, proclaimed to be. And so in key point number five, our walk with Christ should change the course of our life. These men walked with Jesus and it changed everything. Again, I don't know who you are or where you've been at this morning, uh, but whether you believe Jesus or whether you, you, man, you've known him, whether you know him as Lord and Savior, uh, he desires to walk with you, and it should change everything. It should change uh, your, your course in life. It should change your actions. It should change uh, your, your, your processing, right? And we see the testament of that in these two individuals. Uh, as we end, I want to make sure that we acknowledge the results of walking with Christ. Walking with Christ literally changed the course of these two men's lives. They, they did a 180, right? They were on their way to Emmaus from Jerusalem, and now they're turning back and going back to Jerusalem for Emmaus. Um, it's beautiful. Jesus met them right where they were at. And if you remember at the beginning of the story, these two, they were isolated, right? They were separating themselves from the other disciples. But as a result of walking with Christ... Now, they're not just proclaiming truth, but they're seeking fellowship with other believers. And so again, I don't know where you've been this morning, but if you're not seeking fellowship with other believers, then something's up, right? That's something that if you have a walk with Christ that you should desire, you should seek fellowship with other believers. In the beginning of the passage, their countenance is fallen. They're sad. And by the end of it, they're rejoicing with excitement to proclaim the story of a risen Savior. You see that? Man, if you know that Jesus Christ is risen, what could be going on in your life that's going to keep you down? Nothing. If you know the reality of that and the implications for your life, what's going to keep you down? They're not sad anymore. Now they're excited, right? They've got a story to tell. <clears throat> and most excitingly, previously, these two were blind. They couldn't see Jesus, who was right in front of them. And now their eyes were opened, and they could see very clearly. I can see clearly now. This is why I'm not in the choir. Uh, again, by simply walking with Christ, their lives were completely transformed. And, and it wasn't them changing course and going a complete, Jesus met them where they're at. And they just started walking with them. And lest I be too abstract, let me clarify that this walk with Christ was centered around knowing and believing the word of God. That's all it was, Jesus walking and expounding the scriptures, knowing and believing the word of God. 
This is why we place a high priority on Bible study, right? Walking together in the word together and trusting God to change the course of our lives. And again, it's happening. It's happening. I see it all the time. It's the word of God that's the key to knowing the God of the word, right? It's the word of God that's the key to knowing the God of the word. And once you meet him, it'll change the entire trajectory of your life. Once you meet him, uh, it should produce a fervency to share the same good news with anyone that will listen. Uh, Notice, you know, the disciples, they leave in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night to tell others. They traversed, uh, you know, another eight miles on this journey with a completely new perspective because they knew that he was risen, because they knew that he was risen. And so again, uh, today, the, the thesis of the message is the fact that Jesus Christ is risen. That's the, the central theme, and I pray that, that you see that. But more importantly, I, see, I pray that you see the why. Why did he have to suffer these things? Why, why is it important that he, he's alive? And, and next, I just pray that, that we would acknowledge that it's important for us to have a walk with Christ. And so as we close, I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come forward. Um, but I'd love to pray for you. Uh, again, uh, I don't know where you've been at, but I know uh, that I started walking with Jesus, and it changed everything. I was going on a course uh, that was to, to be successful. There, there were good things. There weren't even bad things. To be successful, uh, to be a somebody, to, to make it in this life. And, and then, you know, God threw a curveball at me. And someone met me on my road to Emmaus, and Brandon Briscoe started walking uh, alongside me and challenging me and saying, hey, if you believe in a Jesus, right, then you need to understand the the resurrection and the implications on your life. And so I started walking, and I started walking along guys uh, like Eric and Dan Renault and Blake Sidebottom, and they started expounding into me the scriptures, y'all, and it changed my life. And so if you don't know Jesus personally, uh, as we close, uh, I invite you to come forward. There's going to be leaders here in the back, and they'd love to share with you uh, about this man who's changed my life personally, right? And maybe you've been uh, a Christian, a believer, and and you know some of these things, uh, but you realize that that your walk with Christ, uh, it's struggling and it's suffering. And and you can look at some of these things that were true uh, of these disciples that were walking away, that were isolating themselves from other believers, uh, that, that emotionally were distraught, that, that couldn't reason the scriptures. Uh, man, we'd love to invite you forward as well. Uh, we'd love to meet with you, to counsel with you, to pray with you, and to invite you to, to, to come and see, just to walk uh, in the word with us. Uh, it'll change your life if you let it. And so, Lord, we, we do thank you so much for the fact that we serve a risen Christ. Uh, And the fact of his resurrection gives us hope and it gives us life if we would simply accept it. And so, Lord, uh, I just pray that as we close, uh, that we'd seek fellowship with you. You know, these disciples, they constrained Jesus to stay with them. And they said, abide with us, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray for that heart, that we'd seek fellowship with our Lord, with our Savior in the word, that we'd abide there. And in there, there'd be life and there'd be fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.